Okay, so this week's parsha is Parsha Baloscha, um, the third parsha of Sefer Bamidbar. We pick up in Parakhes, Pasak Aleph, chapter 8, verse 1. Uh, last week was the longest parsha in the Torah, as we said, and there was a big, big focus on the sacrifices that were brought by the various Shvatim, by the various uh, tribes. And interestingly, the Kohanim, who were going to be the ones running this entire thing, weren't part of all, that, all those offerings. This was like the rest of Klal Yisrael getting, uh, getting involved in their way. So our parsha begins now with the instructions to the Kohanim. Speak to Aaron and say to him, When you lift up the Neros, When you lift up the flames... Facing the face of the menorah, should the flames be uh, be put. Sponsoring today? Okay, yes, thank you for the sponsorship. So the words of Tyra and all the brachas should be a zchus, uh, a special occasion. No? Oh, all right, thank you so much. So it should be a zchus for the mishpacha and for everybody here. For everybody, Shabbat Hashem, all the brachas and Torah that we learned here today. So look at, at, at verse 2. Look at Pusik Beis. I'll translate it in English so that it, in a way that art scroll doesn't. We're going to translate it literally so that we can have questions. Speak to Aaron, say to him, okay. when you lift up the flames towards the face of the menorah, the seven flames should light. So a number of things are jumping out at us. Speak to Aaron, say to Aaron. Lift up the flames. What's going on over here? Right? What, what, what's happening? So Rashi immediately kicks in. Rashi says like this. He says, uh, there's, a lot, there's a lot of talk about in this pasuk. We'll, we'll get out of this pasuk. We'll cover it and move on as well. But there's, there is a, a lot to discuss as always. Rashi says, first of all, why is Hashem's instruction to Aaron immediately after the bringing of the sacrifices for everybody else? And he explains a beautiful idea which was that even though the Aaron and the Kohanim knew that this was all going to be arranged for them, right? they were ultimately going to be the ones to do the service in the Mishkan, but they weren't part, they, they, they were watching all the other Shvatim bring their sacrifices, and Rashi tells us, Chalash Daito, Aaron felt bad. Literally means his mind became weak. He felt bad. I don't know what, call it a little bit of jealousy, call it a little bit of, of um, disappointment. He was disappointed. That's probably a better word. That he wasn't part of that mitzvah of all the karbonos. So Hashem says, Chayecha, says to Aaron, like I, that's an expression of an oath, I swear, your role within the Mishkan is going to be greater than anybody else's. Meaning, don't have a weakened mind, don't feel bad, because everybody's got their role. Their role was up until now, and you should know your role of lighting a menorah is even going to be greater. Possibly forever. There are opinions that even say, if you go into the, into the Achronim, the, the, even though, you know, right behind me, this is like a Hanukkah menorah. This is not a menorah of the Beis HaMikdash. This is eight stems plus a star, a shamish, I guess, in the middle. Right? But in the, in the Beis HaMikdash, it was six on either side. And then one in the center. There are, it was a whole different menorah. But there are those who say that there is a lot of um, connectivity between the menorah that we light nowadays on Hanukkah, which was brought about by the Chashmonim, who were Kohanim, and the menorah in the Beis Hamikdash as well. So you can even say that 
your role of lighting the menorah and having a menorah lit is really eternally for all of Klal Yisrael. And that was more of a, um, a one-time thing, although it had all-time impact for the establishment inauguration. But, you know, th- th- therefore your role is going to be, um, is going to be better than that. And apparently Aaron felt better. Now, what do you, what do you see from here? So Bali Musa teach us an important thing. Every midah that Hashem put in the world, you're supposed to use. A person should never say, I have an emotion that I'm not allowed to use. If Hashem made something, created something, that means I'm supposed to use it. If Hashem made an emotion called aggravation, there's times within my life I'm supposed to be aggravated. But I need to control it. Because there's times where I'm not supposed to be aggravated and that emotion of aggravation is going to kick in. Even anger, joy, laughter, disappointment. It's all meant to be used at the right time. So Bali Musar actually learned from Rashi what, how, when a Yid is supposed to feel disappointed. When should I feel disappointed? You say, oh, Muna, whatever Hashem does, right? Everything ultimately is, everything ultimately is good. So the Bali Musar, the, the Musar leaders teach us that apparently you're supposed to feel bad. You're supposed to feel disappointed when I lost out on the opportunity of joining in a mitzvah. That is a healthy type of disappointment. When other people were creating a mitzvah, even if I I didn't have the obligation, but when I see other people fulfilling a mitzvah, of course I'm happy for them. But to myself, there is this element where it's healthy to feel like, oh, it's too bad I'm not part of that. It's too bad I'm not part of that. What a schosa would be. You know, uh, to be part that's that's a type of disappointment, that that emotion which would be healthy and, and you should know throughout it's a it's another long parsha, not as long as Nusso. But later on in our parsha, in Parak in the next chapter in Parakdes, we come across with the and we'll jump to there for a moment. We'll discuss the this we have we have the concept of Pesach Sheni. The second Pesach. What happened with Pesach Sheni? So there were people who were Tamei Lenefesh. There were people who were Tamei, uh, Tamei Mace, and it was, came time to bring the carbon Pesach, and they weren't able to bring the carbon Pesach. So they came to Moshe, and they said, Lama Nigara, why should we lose out? Other people are performing mitzvot, and it's not fair. And they, they came to say, you know, it, it's not fair. So Moshe doesn't know what to do. He says, you know, doesn't know what to do. So he goes and asks Hashem. Hashem says, you know what? A month later, I'll make another Pesach. Now the obvious question for all of us should be, Moshe doesn't know what to do. Not that Moshe doesn't know. There are five times in the Torah where we find Moshe doesn't know what to do. That's not the big question. The big question is like, when was the last time you heard of somebody wanting to do a mitzvah? They didn't do the mitzvah. So they said, you know, we'll give another chance. Is that how it works? It doesn't work like that. It's like, you know, I feel so bad. Even though I didn't do anything wrong, I feel so... I really want to do the mitzvah. Usually, you know, you just you missed out. That's it. You miss, you miss. You snooze, you lose. You didn't show up. You didn't show up. Why are they showing up? And why do they even think that there's a place over here for a carbon pesach uh, for them to do something about it? No. How many other mitzvahs do you know where you find this concept? Huh? They're involved in a mitzvah. Yeah. Okay. So, so why are we giving them pesach sheni? You're visiting somebody, if you, you want to dive in chakras. And the latest time for chakras is 10.45 in the morning. Okay? You want to dive in chakras. But 
you're visiting somebody who's uh, not well and they feel good and it's going you know if if you it's important that you're there and there's no way to fulfill both mitzvahs what's the rule osikman mitzvah put them in a mitzvah involved in a mitzvah you're put there from the other mitzvah you don't need to cut your visit short in order to start davening shmon ezra you come back and say you know lamani gara why should i lose out now interestingly maybe it's not a it's not a good uh, example because we do find the concept in davening of tashlumen where you could daven two shmon ezrays if you weren't onus, maybe that idea is not the best example. But be it as it may, you get what we're saying, right? You're involved in a mitzvah, so you just, that's it. You can't dance at two chasas in the same time. Right? Yeah? But maybe this mitzvah was so important because it was the first on Pesach. It was the first Jewish holiday that was done. And so to miss out on a first, maybe it's... it's Very and, good. And going back to that, where... You know, there's a second, but the first was the first. So, according to what you're saying is, the first is the first. Maybe, like, every Jew needed to be established as a performer of that mitzvah. And they were nervous. If they didn't lock it in now, it's not going to be locked in ever. And it's kind of a long-term loss. And uh, therefore, there's a greater concern. Okay. You'd have to bring a proof to that. That the, the that the first time, huh? that, that the that the first time is more important than the second time. <laughs> It'll say it somewhere. You can't. Yeah. What's the difference between because it was mentioned that uh, there are emotions, mm-hmm. and then there are midos. So is there like a difference? Because I I learned that. There's no such thing as good midos and bad midos. There are midos. Mm-hmm. And how you use it makes it either good or bad. Correct. So is there like a, a difference between midos and emotions? Midos is, is how we um, bring out the emotion, comes out through a mida. Right? Somebody's starting to feel aggravated if they have what we call good midos, which means they have proper limitations around it, so they'll use that in a way that's good midos, right? They have, they have the good limits. The good, mido literally means measurement. They have good measurements around how to utilize, um, how to utilize each mido. We don't have it here in our shul-based medrash. I have one at home. There's an incredible um, safer that I learned for a while. I never was able to finish it um, yet. It's from the Rambam's son, Rabbi Vram ben Harambam. It's called Hamaspik Le'ovdei Hashem, a guide to the service of God. And Rabbi Avram, the son of the Rambam, brings down many, many emotions and how to centralize the emotion in a way of godliness. And it's, it's fascinating how he tears apart. He'll go through like one chapter is on compassion. And he starts out by giving examples of compassion that is incredibly unhealthy very unhealthy rachbanas and then he you know gets into uh, the lack of compassion being terribly you know a terrible problem and he shows you the extremes of each side till he ultimately builds up like the centrality of how do i in my daily life understand it's called it's it's a really it's it's a it's quite thick but it's i think feldheim uh, started publishing it in english it's called Hamaspik Le'ovdei Hashem by uh, Rabbi Ramban Aramba. But 
that's going back to what you're saying, is that, yeah, the midah is, is the measurement around how to utilize the, the um, various um, emotions and situations that HaKadosh Baruch Hu puts us into, even a lack of emotion. You have to know when, when to utilize the, the lack of emotion. You know, each one of those. So they, they really do go hand in hand very often. They really do go hand in hand. Yeah. The guys who wanted to finish off sharing, it wasn't because it wasn't their fault. It wasn't their because they were talking That's right. from the Mekhever of Yosef. So the thing so, that it wasn't, there was Osei Mitzvah. It's not just like we didn't make Correct. We didn't make correct. You know, most the, uh, the the most quoted opinions that they were carrying the bones of Yosef. There are other opinions they were involved in a mace mitzvah, or some of the you know they they were carrying the the bones of the other shvatim as well that were coming back with them. But it seems the main uh, uh, answer or the the main story that people are familiar with is that it was those who were carrying the bones of Yosef. So let's stick on that for a moment. I saw a couple of ideas how to answer this question of Pesach Sheni, and then we're going to go back to the beginning of the parsha and and connect all this together, and that is. Why, why ultimately did we give them a Pesach Sheni? You can ask for it. Oh, since when do we see you get a second chance? Why did they get a Pesach Sheni? So one answer I saw is incredibly, when they said, Lamani Gara, why should we lose out? They were so committed to getting that mitzvah done, that Ein Dover HaOmed B'fnei HaRatzon, there's nothing that stands in the way of a person's will. And if you push it hard enough, you can create a will of Hashem that Moshe himself didn't know. He never learned it. Because maybe it didn't exist till they wanted it so bad. Once they wanted it, so you didn't, you didn't have to do the mitzvah. But if you want it so bad, if you have a ratzen, somehow, HaKadosh Baruch Hu, uh, you know, will, will uh, it, it works out. And the, I don't know if I'm going to be able to articulate this well, because this is really, for me, something that's a little beyond the depths of my understanding. But like, you, you kind of touch it and just I'll lead you there a little bit. We had a few months ago, and it was reminded because somebody, the person who it happened to, reminded me of it. Where they there were two people who had yard site for their fathers on the same day. So as far as leading the davening, you can you can pull that off. You could split it up, and you know, in, in our shul, everybody says kaddish together anyway. Some shuls. Only one person says Kaddish, so it makes it a little more complicated. They have to take turns. But when multiple people say Kaddish, it makes it a little easier. So two people have... But the custom is that on the yard site, if there's a Torah reading, so you call up the one who has yard site for the Torah reading. So they're both Yisraelim, and it was a Monday or a Thursday. Well, it was Monday or Thursday. So there's Kohen, Levi, and Yisrael. So two Yisraelim to get, to get the, the one Aliyah. Okay? So how do you work it out? How do you figure it out? Huh? Tell the Levi stay home. Uh, or the Cohen, you mean? The, the Levi is not going to help, but the Cohen, no, because no, if there's no Levi, the Cohen goes gets called up twice. Uh-huh. Um, <laughs> but if you tell the okay, so some people actually say that they say if there's a if there's a Cohen, you ask the Cohen to leave before the Torah is taken out. That's that's one approach, and never you get to okay. But here here's what uh, he reminded me. I told him, I the Gemara at the end of Tractate Megillah tells us that the one who does Hadba. It calls it Kalila, but the one who does Hagel, the one who lifts up the Torah, gets Shar Keneged Kulam, gets a reward connected to all three Aliyahs. 
Oh, everybody get called the Torah together because everybody else gets called up to make a bracha on behalf of the reading. But afterwards, when you lift it up and you show the Torah, right, too, that uh, this is the Torah that we're all living by, after it's being read, that even, that to an extent is like, encapsulates all three aliyahs. So, so uh, what we recommended was one should do hagba and one should take the third aliyah and show them all Yisrael. Everything, everybody walked away, uh, everybody walked away happy. Now, the reason why they walked away happy is because they walked away happy anyway. They were, they were fine. Like, you know, the, the greatest zuchus, the greatest merit for anybody who passed away is that their family should have shalom down here. And it's, it's actually greater for the neshama if you have two people at yard site and I give in and let the other person daven, the neshama that, it's my yard, that I have yard site for gains a lot more than if I actually would have davened. That's for sure. But be it as it may, let's, let's bring this back to our point. This, so this person shared an idea with me. And he said, he said, it's so beautiful. You know, once we, you know, I'm just saying halacha and a gemara that we were learning, you know, but he says, it's so beautiful. It's so amazing that the Torah and gemara and chazal, they put so many practical things in place that you can do to always be able to just work it out. Like if you know enough, if you know enough, everybody can ultimately end up being happy. You know, ultimately be happy, and it's it's some, it's like it's part of the it's it's part of the uh, pleasantness that that we have in our in, in Yiddishkeit. It just it, it all comes together, and this is this is deep because yet you have people who lost out. They say no, you lost out. But when you want, when you when there's a real rut zone, when there's a real want for something, I've never seen, and I'm not, you know, Rabban Leib Steinman, who Bliyan Hara lived a very long life. You know, it would be more meaningful if he said it. I, but personally, in the, in the little bit that I've been in this world, never seen like anything within Torah and Yiddishkeit that doesn't ultimately work things out in a very sensible, understanding way. Just you can make sense of it. It just when when you when you start putting bits and pieces together, you walk away happy. You get it. Like I got it. It makes sense. There's seichel. There's sense here. We understand. Even if I'm not always happy, I'm not always happy with everything. We're not saying everything works out incredible, but you get it. Like you want it. You understand. And it's crazy. You start learning the halacha. You get a little bit deeper. You get into the the kishkas of the. You get into the understanding of it. You're like, okay, that actually makes sense. You know, it's and and you, so so one approach over here is ain dabra omed And another approach that you could say, assuming that it was the bones of Yosef, is actually a beautiful idea. Why did we end up in Mitzrayim? We'll give a whole shear in one minute. Why did we end up? Why did we end up in Mitzrayim? Kind of, it started by the sale of Yosef down to Mitzrayim by the transgressions of the brothers. So you gotta you gotta uproot that. How do you uproot it? So Yosef said, I forgive you, but I want to make, I want to ask a request, bring me back, Teretz Yisrael. So these people who came, you know what they're saying? They're, 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 they're impure. They come to Boshe, they say, Maishu you know why we're having Yitzhiyas Mitzrayim and we're on our way back to Eretz Yisrael? Because of our job. The whole Yitzhiyas Mitzrayim, the, 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 the completion of going back to Eretz Yisrael, where Yosef was sold from, is the bones that we're actually carrying to say that the Karban Pesach, which represents Yitzias Mitzrayim to everybody, 
everybody's going to do it besides for us who are completing the cause of it? Go ask Hashem, please. <laughs> like, and Akash Baruch Hu says, Akash Baruch Hu teaches Meishamein at that time, he's your right. They actually need to bring the carbon Pesach. But when you go back into the whole story, it makes sense why specifically over here by this mitzvah, more than anywhere else, they're saying, hey, like, let's make sense of this. Let's, you know, let's look at the big picture. It's a beautiful, beautiful uh, concept. But getting back to the, to the uh, beginning, so we said Aaron felt bad. These people felt bad, right? Ah, you have no mitzvah, Karim Pesach. We want a mitzvah. We want an opportunity to connect to Hashem. We want a way, we want an opportunity to, be, to sanctify ourselves, to mekadosh ourselves. And, and uh, Aaron HaKohen felt bad. He felt bad. He wanted to, um, he wanted to uh, perform and be part of it. There's a fascinating Gemara in Tracti uh, Brachus, the Mesechus Brachus. The Gemara says, this is Daflamid Hebed Beis, page 35b. The Gemara says, a difference between earlier generations and the later generations is that there's a law in Eretz Yisrael of the only time you have to tithe biblically is your grain and your animals of Israel. Anything else is either rabbinical or a custom. But if your grain that grows in Israel and your animals that are born to your uh, livestock in Israel, you're ob- biblically obligated to, uh, to tithe. At what point do you have to tithe your grain? So the Gemara learns out from various verses, it's only when it's ready to be turned into bread. So once, like, the, and, and the Gemara explains, the stage is, you harvest the wheat, you're not obligated to tithe yet. There's no obligation to tithe. You could be eating the wheat kernels out in the field, there's no problem. But once it comes into the granary, once it goes into the storehouse, I'm sorry, not the granary yet, it goes into the storehouse, and the, it's turned into piles and prepared to now be winnowed and threshed and go over. Once it's prepared, now there's an obligation of miser. Now this has a major ramifications because you're not allowed to eat something that's obligated in miser until miser is taken. It's not kosher. But if you never had the obligation in the first place, you can eat it. So until this is all smoothed out and turned into piles, it's totally kosher. As soon as it's turned into piles and you're obligated to miser, it becomes not kosher until you separate miser, then it becomes kosher again. Okay? That's basically how the process works. Okay. So the Gemara says, look at the difference between earlier generations and later generations, and we could certainly change it a little bit for our times. But the example the Gemara gives, the earlier generations would gather their produce from the fields and make sure to bring it straight in the regular way into the storehouse and smooth it out as soon as possible so that they could have a mitzvah of miser. But the later generations, we gather everything through the window of the courtyard. We bring it into the attic. You know, bring it through the attic, keep it separate, you know, this way, you're not running into any, any miser problems. I don't need to, you know, this way I don't need to take miser. Nothing was smoothed out and I can find the loophole and I don't need, I get an extra 10%. Right? Did he do anything wrong? Did he do anything wrong? I was never obligated. Yeah. That's the difference between earlier generations and later generations. Meaning, says the Gemara, a person who wants a mitzvah will find a way to get themselves a mitzvah. And a person who wants to get out of a mitzvah won't transgress necessarily. I'm not going to transgress. I'm not going to transgress. But I'll find a way to get out of it. It's one of the jokes I tell over all the time in Dafyomi. Because <laughs> these things come up all the time when you have all sorts of disputes. And the Gemara doesn't, you know, sometimes is even unsure how to come out. So the, the joke that we share is there was a, a fellow who whenever he found, maybe we shared it here as well, I don't know. Um, 
whenever he found a lenient opinion, he relied on it. Right? And if there was a dispute, lenient opinion, pat himself on the shoulder, not doing anything wrong, I could rely on someone. I come up to heaven, I'll say, I found some obscure book that said, okay. So he comes up to heaven, they're going through his records, and they say, you know, you never sinned. Incredible, incredible, incredible. You know, you always hit. You, know, you, you always had uh, some, something to rely upon. You don't need to take responsibility. And incredible. Straight, straight to Ganeidin, straight to paradise. The guy's thrilled, absolutely thrilled. Okay? So they bring him upstairs. He goes to Ganeidin. They show him to his room. He walks in. It's a dark room. There's a Gemara, a cup of coffee, and a stender. And the angel says, sit down. He's like, this is heaven? According to an opinion, yeah. <laughs> there's an opinion like that, right? <laughs> you get what you pay for. You get what you pay for, right? So you you, you could potter yourself up. You could you could uh, you could figure out <laughs> figure out a way to not get it done. But if you then there's the right way to get it done. That, that you know the the way to uh, to run, huh? Probably more energy to do the minimum than just do it. Right. Sometimes it's. it's <laughs> But some people find a way. They find a way. Yeah. You know, back to Am. You know, it's surprising because he is so accepting of Moshe and his and his position. It, it just, just seems out of character for him to not fully accept what he was supposed to do when he was supposed to do it. It seems like that was his nature. So for him to be... I, you know, I was a human being. I realize that, but for him to be upset about it when he knows that whatever happens, Hashem wants it to happen mm-hmm. for him. So, so let's let's clarify a little bit. I hear I hear your question, and I believe the answer is truly as follows. That is a question when you're looking at people, Moshe, Aaron, and saying that Aaron felt bad because people did something that he couldn't do. I don't believe that's what Rashi's saying. I think what Rashi's saying is like this. Aaron felt bad that he didn't have an opportunity. Nothing to do with anybody else. Okay. Nothing to do with anybody else. There was, there was an opportunity for a mitzvah that in some, for some reason he was kept away from. So it's not even like jealousy that other people got something or that he's not happy for some. There's... The, he... he loved the opportunity to, to be one with Hashem so much that when he saw an opportunity that he wasn't meant to be part of, it hurt him. He was but, disappointed. But his understanding was at such a level that he would have known that. He would have known that. Yeah. Yeah. I'm not talking in average, you know what I mean. So you're asking to even have that emotion could be, you know is is unique. Yes. Is unique. Okay. Mm-hmm. I don't I don't have an answer to that. I don't have an answer to that. The only thing that I'll tell you what's going through my mind because of other things that I've learned. And I don't know if this is true anymore, but this is I want to take a stab in the dark. Okay. There's a Gemara that says one of the reasons why Hashem allowed the sin of the golden calf so soon after the Torah being given. It's a shocking, it's a shocking, shocking thing that happened. The Gemara says, you know why it happened? Hashem wanted it to happen. 
This way, you'll never have a generation of Jewish people that can ever say, we're too far from God and He won't take us back. Because you're never going to... What happened was the entire nation of Klai Yisrael is being held accountable for idol worship. When else are you ever going to have where you're not going to have uh, you know, more than a, a single individuals where they, we completely turn away? You know, there's points where like, maybe God gave up on us. You know, there's stuff going on. So the Gemara says, because it's kind of like part of God's plan. Part of God's plan is there should be a sin of the golden calf. Now we're still held accountable for it, right? But there should be a sin of the golden calf. This way, it's helpful for all time. With that processing thing, processing idea, maybe you could say, on behalf of, on behalf of this Rashi, to your surprise. I don't know if this is true, but you're saying it's surprising that Aaron had these feelings. And I'm going to say, interesting, I agree. Maybe Aaron had those feelings so that the, the, we can extrapolate this idea from the Torah and learn when we're supposed to be disappointed. Maybe that's why Aaron disappointed them. Maybe Hashem wanted Aaron to be disappointed then. So that we could learn when a Jew is supposed to be disappointed. Maybe. And really it's not a... He's, he's not held accountable for this. He never felt it. Just the opposite. He's rewarded. Hashem sees disappointment. Hashem says, Aaron, relax. Don't be disappointed. I got something better for you. Right? And that's usually what Hashem does for us. Right? It's usually. Right? We're disappointed for a little bit, and then ultimately things, uh, things uh, turn out for the better. Baruch Hashem. Okay, let's keep going. So, speak to Aaron and say to him, when you lift up the candles. Rashi, it's interesting. You know, our school will translate it when you light the candles, you kindle the lamps. Ba'aloscha is from the word aliyah. Ha'aloscha. Aliyah, to go up. When the candles go up. It's an interesting expression. So Rashi gives two... Uh, things to learn from this word. Number one is teaching us how to light the lamp. Meaning, sometimes you light a candle, you touch it to the wick, and then the wick bursts into flames by itself from the initial touch. And then the another way to do it is to hold your original candle there until they're both burnt in full flame together, and then you remove the candle. So Balosko is teaching Aaron that he should actually hold the candle there until it's already burst into flames. That's how you lift up the flame. And another, uh, uh, the, the other idea that Rashi shares is that there, it's letting me know there are steps that should be going up to the menorah. When you go up to the lamps of the menorah, there are three steps, as we know, that went up, and that, that's how the menorah should be prepared. So how, how were the wicks prepared? So the same verse, it's incredible how every Pusik is like, there's so much information. When you raise up the, the lamps, to the face of the menorah, you should light the seven lamps. Now what's a face? So interestingly, the Torah is teaching us a fascinating message here. And that is, the center of a person is their face. Why? Why is a center called a face? What, what, what if your face is sideways? What if, you know, no. what if it is? That, that's what you're supposed to notice. The, the word punim in Hebrew means face. Change a few vowels. Punim means inside. The punim, shena punim, a beautiful face, right? A panim represents your panemius, your panim, your inside. The center of a person is like, is, is through, is, um, you know, is the, the main part, we'll call it, is the, is the main part. So the face of the menorah, Rashi here lets us know, is the center stem of the menorah. And all the wicks, all the candles should be leaning towards the center stem. They weren't 
they weren't straight up, but the ones on the left side would lean like this. The ones on this side would lean would lean like this. Now the reason for this is very interesting. This farnu, right? It would it would tilt towards the middle. This farnu says the lamps on the left represent people who support Torah, and the lamps on the right represent people who learn Torah. And both of them, says the Sfarnu, both of them are obligated to keep in mind that they have the same goal. There's no difference in anybody's goals in Klai Yisrael. If, I'm, if, if my role is to be a, a builder of Torah, I'm not going to be sitting in front of a book, but I'm going to build Torah in my life. I'm going to build Torah in, uh, you know, and spread it to other people and share with other people. Remember that you're working and you're putting your energy for the center, for the Shekhinah. And the same thing holds true if you're sitting and learning in Kolel. A person has more time to study Torah. Sometimes we can study Torah and forget there's a God. You can even study Torah and forget there's a God. You just don't think about it. Right? The purpose of everything has to be for the Shekhinah. It has to be for the, uh, for the uh, Divine Presence. And that's the message of the lamps, both on the right side and on the left side, all shaped, all uh, going towards the middle. Um, to give that, that, that centrality. It's just interesting. I don't, know, I don't know if anybody has any thoughts on this. The menorah was like this, and also the katoras, the, the incense, went up to like a single pillar of smoke and went up from there. Also on the Mizbeach, when the fire went up, there was miraculously, even with winds, it all, it's, it's very interesting how nothing in the Beis HaMikdash is spread out. They're so, like everything ultimately comes to like a single destination. The Kruvim faced each other. There's very limited, you know, everything's like ultimate, even things that need to be separate are all facing back towards like a, uh, a singular place. It's interesting. Uh, it's interesting to note. Okay. This is what Aaron did. Aaron did it. Why does he got to tell me Aaron did it? Aaron did it exactly as Hashem said to Moshe. Okay. What's going on over here? So says Rashi. You know why the Torah says that Aaron did it? He didn't do it. Usually Hashem tells Moshe to tell Aaron. Fine, he told Aaron. And we assume he did it. Oh, there it says, no, don't worry. Aaron did the menorah like he was supposed to. He got the job done. Don't be scared, anybody. Rashi says, oh. I asked Aaron to speak to Aaron to speak about his praise. Shaloshina. He didn't change anything. Big deal. Uh, you think Aaron would change anything? I mean, he did a lot of stuff. I mean, we have the whole Parsha that referred to the exact uh, avoda of Yom Kippur. Nothing could be Nothing could be out of order. Nothing could be changed. It doesn't say over there like, oh yeah, don't worry. Like, you know, Aaron knew what he was doing. <laughs> over here it's like, yeah, hey, don't worry. We've got to tell the praise of Aaron. Over here, it's important to know that he didn't, uh, he didn't deviate at all. What's, uh, why particularly here is there, a, uh, is there a message? So there's a few explanations given. Let's start with the Ramban. Okay? Nachmanides. We'll start with the Ramban. The Ramban says that this Pasuk is teaching me that Aaron lit the menorah his entire life. Every single day that Aaron was alive, he lit the menorah. Now, did the Kohen Gadol have to light the menorah? No. Any Kohen was allowed to light the menorah. But still, Aaron was the only one who lit the menorah. Now, to bring everything back to sports, yeah? 
To me, this looks like he's a ball hog. He's a what? A ball hog. Yeah, you know, the kid on your dodgeball team that doesn't know how to give anybody else a turn, right? The, kid on the, the guy on the basketball team doesn't want to pass, right? Whenever I see a kid in my class, he's, you, know, you have to do it as a joke. It has to be the right kid. But sometimes the, kid's, the kid doesn't pass enough. I'm like, hey, Mice Chuckenstein, right? Yeah. <laughs> give him a little look. Like, stop chucking the ball at the basket. Like, he could pass also, you know? So you just give him a name, Mice Chuckenstein, and he, he understands what Rebbe means, right? You could, uh, you could include other people. Aaron, like Aaron did it every day, every single day. Give somebody else a turn. According to Ramban, it's speaking of his praise that he did this every day. And he never changed means, says Ramban, never changed means, doesn't mean he only did it perfectly. Every single day, he never changed. Nobody else got an opportunity. And the question is, why not? Huh? Achrayas. He made sure it got done. Okay. No. No. It was to it was to every coin. Maybe he just loved the mitzvah. So this is something I'll I'll, I'll share the idea and but I'm just going to be open again. I don't know exactly the mida. I don't know the midos of this yet. Um Hopefully, as I mature, uh, I'll, I'll get there. Um, so really, uh, uh, such an important you said. And I got this from my father, Zuchern Levracha, who quoted Rav Pam. Okay, Rav Pam says um, that, not on this parsha, but Rav Pam says this by Avram Avinu. When Avram Avinu hosted the three Arabs, who he thought were Arabs, but really we know they were, uh, they were three angels, so the Pesach says he sent Yishmael to slaughter the calves. He asked the son to go help him. And later on in the Torah, um, it, it, we're taught that in the Midbar, in the desert, since Avram Avinu performed the mitzvah of Achnas Asarchim, of the meal through a messenger, in later generations, the water that we received in the Midbar was only through a well and didn't come straight from Shemayim like the Mun. So it was a blessing to receive the well of Miriam. But it came from a well. Why didn't water just come straight from Hashem? Now you say the water comes from Hashem, but it seems like the well is delivering it. The man wasn't delivered by anything or anybody. The man just fell right to you. So why didn't I get a glass of water fall right to me? Why did I need to go over to a well and have the well act as a messenger? So Rav Pam says that, um, I'm sorry, so the, Gemara says, the Gemara says it's because Avram didn't do the mitzvah right. Right? He should have done it himself, but he said, instead he sent the messenger. Ask her, Pam, who's the messenger? His son. His son, Yishma. Okay? Just last night, I'm doing homework with one of the kids on the couch, and I say to a different kid, can you please get me a pen? They say Rebel Yashiv never in his life asked anybody, including his family, to help him with anything. If he needed a safer, a book, and he was sitting at his desk, and he had children next to the bookshelves, he would stand up and get a safer and go back. He never asked his children to help him. Never asked him. Oh, let me finish this before you say, yeah. let me finish. Let me finish. I said, I'm, I'm still maturing. He wouldn't ask for nothing. Okay? Now, says Rav Pam, it seems from that story, 
that Avram should not have sent Yishmael. But why not? You include your children in the mitzvah. Says Rav And this is where I don't know the midos. I don't know the measurement. Says Rav But we have to know that there's truth to this. Sometimes, Avram Avinu apparently should have known. But there's times where a person has to realize, yes, there's chinuch and allowing others to be included, but the greatest chinuch is to lead by example. To do it yourself. You're allowed to ask others, but realize that's not necessarily the greatest chinuch. The greatest chinuch is when other people see us and what we're doing, and then hopefully they'll do it too. That's the... That's, so... Apparently by Avram Avinu, that's what, that's what was expected. So perhaps you could say the same thing over here. Let's bring that story of Avram Avinu and Yishmol uh, over here. Aaron is training the Kohanim by performing the mitzvah of menorah by himself. Because they can now see how their Kohen Gadol, every single day, they can see him, how a mitzvah is done properly. When they have the ability to experience... They could do it themselves. Aaron could delegate this. And there's times where you do need to delegate. You can't do everything. You do need to. I'm just thinking after this year, I've got to get home to clean the house. You know? <laughs> what are you going to do? Yeah, you clean up. No, you got to clean straight. You know, it was hectic this morning, right? The, the message of this Pasuk is that Aaron was not hogging the ball. Aaron was purposely doing it because he knew that for the experience of the Kaihanim by doing it himself, that is ultimately what's going to be in the greatest chinuch of everybody else. And I, think, I believe that the answers we gave before really touched on this. Because when we touch on um, uh, ideas of leading by example or... or um, Uh, what, what, you used a single word. What was your word? Achrayas. Right? See? You see somebody taking achrayas. You see somebody taking responsibility for it. And to explain, if Aaron would have done it to be, to hog the mitzvah, he wouldn't be, you know, he, we wouldn't be praising it. But it's not why Aaron did it. Aaron did it because he knew at that time, for that moment, for what the Kahanim needed, for the whole tribe of Guna needed, it was worthwhile for him to be the one doing it. For him to be the one who... Uh, who uh, grabs it? Uh, grabs it by its reins. There's just uh, well, uh, the Svasemes uh, gives a different understanding of what it means. Shina Aaron, that Aaron didn't change, and he says that it means that Aaron performed the mitzvah every day as if it was his first day. That's what it means. It didn't change, and that's that's a real avoda. That is something that's not easy. It's not an easy thing to do to to keep at a mitzvah without getting messed up by habit. Habit is the number one thing that can. Uh, really detract. Once we lose the enthusiasm, it can really uh, it can really detract from the way that we perform the mitzvahs. Yeah. Okay. As far as um, influencing your children by example. Yeah. So we can look at all the others and say, wasn't Abraham a good influence, but he had an Esau? I mean a Yishma. Mm-hmm. And wasn't Yitzhak a good example? And he had an Esau. Okay, so down the line. So it's leading by example is good, but if you don't 
see, I look at it like you're taking away an opportunity from your children to perform Kiwanaka if you don't ask them to get you drinking water. How's that connected to Avram having a Yishma? Well, versus um, just leading by example, and it'll affect your children by just leading by example. Will so it affect your children to have them do the mitzvah of Kibbut Ava'in? Does that necessarily make their children better? Who knows? Right. No. Right? Who knows? This, this, is, this, this is exactly why we started out saying, I'm not mature enough to know <laughs> each... No, and I mean this. I don't know the boundaries yet. I don't know the boundaries of how it works. To get into Avram and Yishmael... I'm sure Avram was an incredible father, but that doesn't change the journey that Yishmael was supposed to be on in his life. Esav had his journey. Yitzhak and Rivka are not held accountable as the parents. They had an Esav. That's it. It's fine. They had an Esav. They tried their best. They did their thing. And uh, they still had a child like that. You, you, we, we, <laughs> anybody's life, whatever journey Hashem sends them on, that's their journey. We're not going to change that. The best we could do is try to be the best type of influence. And here what we're, what we're discussing is when and, how to, to, when and how to create that influence. Sometimes influence comes about by, by um, having the person themselves perform, right? As everybody knows, the greatest teaching in school is by having the children learn, not by having the teacher teach. That's the greatest teaching. When they themselves are performing, that's vamidu tamidam harve, to stand up tamidam where they could do it on their own. Yet, there's also just leading by example. So if a teacher were to stand in front of the room and say, watch me spell, <laughs> you know, I mean, that's not going to do. So you have, the, the story of Avram Avinu is a message of the Torah that in that circumstance, apparently it was a mistake. Apparently it was. That didn't make Yishmael turn out to be Yishmael, right? Avram had, we, we don't determine what our kids end up being. We don't determine what our siblings end up being. We don't determine who anybody ends up being. But the question is, how do we, how and when should we place the right type of influence? And usually, it's just by doing the right thing. By doing the right thing, being good, is going gonna, is gonna to have a much greater influence than, than um, by asking others to join. Now, if you want to you want to pull a lot of this together, there's always two sides. Because look at Aaron on the other side. Look at on the on one hand, you ready for this? this is this is stunning. I to, to me, um, and we'll wrap it up with this. Aaron represents the best of both sides of the coin. How so? On one hand Aaron wants is is teaching us how a, how a leader leads. A leader can only lead by example if people are watching. You can have sometimes you want to lead by example, so then whoever's watching might just be lazy. Be like, okay, great, they're doing everything. I don't need to do anything. But look at Aaron on the other hand. How do we start out today's year? Aaron seeing other people doing mitzvahs, and he says, "Oh, I want to do that too." I want to do that also. There's something, there's an opportunity I'm not involved in. So Aaron's really using these two sides that are necessary for growth. On one hand, as far as he's concerned, 
He's like, okay, I'm going to be the one who leads by example. And on, as far as other people, he's, he's not going to be like, okay, Baruch Hashem, they're doing the mitzvah, I don't need to be involved. Which is the downside of leading by example. So on the other, on the flip side of the coin, Aaron, whatever he sees somebody else, he, he's got this down to a, he's got this down perfect. He understands how to grow and how to lead and how to, and how to come out in full shlemus, how to come out with a, uh, a complete package of development. Okay, we'll hold it here for today. Any questions, thoughts?